This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Welcome aboard, Giants fans, to episode 68 of Talk is Cheap, our New York Giants podcast right here on NJ.com. I'm Joe Giglio, joined as always by James Cratch and Dan Duggan. They cover the Giants for NJ Advanced Media. They're both still out in Minnesota. We're doing this podcast on a Tuesday morning, just hours after the Giants' 24-10 loss at the hands of the still-undefeated Vikings. The Giants go down. They're now 2-2 two and two on the season. We have a whole lot to talk about, including a wide receiver that's causing a whole bunch of negative headlines for the Giants right now. James, we'll start with you. Um, that game, I think, was just frustrating for Giants fans to watch because although they lost by two touchdowns, they were never really out of it, but yet never really in it at the same time. It was, it was a strange uh, affair in which it felt like the Vikings just had control. Yeah, I thought it was kind of what you know we talked about last week and what I expected. The Vikings dominated the game from start to finish, but their offense just isn't good enough to really pull away and you know make it a lopsided score. So the Giants hung in there, and they had a little bit of life when they cut it to a touchdown in the fourth quarter. But at the end of the day, they, they just weren't good enough. I mean, the defense was okay. Uh, the offensive line, I thought, held up a lot better than anyone expected. They didn't give up a sack to a team that had eight sacks against the Panthers a week before and led the league in sacks. But the offenses, you know, they just weren't good enough. They couldn't make anything happen. Eli Manning did not have a good game. And, you know, at the end of the day, when the defense finally had allowed the offense to pull within a score, Sam Bradford marches right down the field, and that was all she wrote. So just, you know, and of course, you know, the fumble early in the game kind of threw the Giants out of whack to begin with. So just not a good performance by the Giants. The Vikings are a vastly superior football team, in my opinion, but there's a lot to be concerned about right now. Yeah, there has to be, right? And the Giants go from 2-0, and and those first two wins, Dan, they were you know, by the skin of their teeth. And we gave them credit at that point for finding ways to win games. But you, you kind of added it in total now after four games. They barely won those first two games. They've now lost two in a row. They've been outscored through four games. It's not a pretty picture right now of a Giants team that I know there was a lot of optimism would be, you know, greatly improved this year. Right. I mean, I think you go back to those first two games. I mean, winning is winning, but when you're winning ugly, uh, it's either going to turn around, you're going to finally start to click, or it's going to end up catching up to you. And it's clearly caught up to in these last two games. I think that's the biggest concern for me is this offense that, you know, we've, t- we've talked up, the players have talked up, everybody has talked up, still is searching to, to actually have a game where they go off. I mean, 27 points is, is their highest out, uh, output. Uh, one touchdown last night. They didn't even have an offensive touchdown against the Saints. Terrible defense. Uh, it's really kind of head-scratching now when you start to you know, put the four games together. It's a little bit bigger sample size. And uh, for whatever reason, this offense is just not clicking. It's the same offensive coordinator, obviously, calling the plays as the head coach now. Pretty much the same players, except better ones uh, in terms of Sterling Shepard and Victor Cruz. Uh, joining an offense that you know was was lightening up the last two years, so it's really hard to understand. Um, I know defenses are, are doing a, a you know a good job taking away the big plays, but there's always a kind of a push pull factor. If they're taking away that, something else should be open, and it just seems like the Giants haven't been able to uh, to counter that. And with the weapons they have, it shouldn't be as much of a problem as it has been. Yeah, it shouldn't. It's a mess right now. I mean, you look at some of these numbers, and they they just 
it's eye-opening. I mean, they've scored 73 points in four games, and that's the you know, third worst in the NFC. The only teams that have worse offenses right now in terms of points per game are the Los Angeles Rams, who start Case Keenum at quarterback, and the Chicago Bears, who've had Brian Hoyer out there for more than half of their season. So that's a problem. And then just on Monday night, I mean, Eli Manning threw for 261, but if you take away that screen pass where Paul Perkins made a great play, he's under 200 yards passing for the night. And James, we've gone, what, two or three minutes here in this podcast, and we're into the offense now. We have to bring the conversation to Odell Beckham Jr. And there's a lot of different ways we can go with this, but let's let's start with the production first and where it is and and why he's not playing and catching passes and, and getting yards and touchdowns the way we've become accustomed to for two years. I mean, on Monday night, Odell Beckham Jr. had three catches for 23 yards. That's not what Giants fans are used to here. No, uh, career low for him. You know, I thought that, and I, I, and I don't know if you guys agree with me, I felt that for the first three weeks, the Beckham, you know, he's not playing well, was a little bit overblown because I just thought he wasn't getting into the end zone. I thought his, his statistics and his targets and his catches and his yards, they were relatively they, they were pretty good. I just thought that the fact that Beckham had square touchdown, the fact that he has such high expectations given his level of play over his first two seasons, I thought maybe things were getting a little bit overblown. But but last night was, I mean, I don't think Beckham had a target until set, like seven minutes left in the first half. You know, he has nine targets, three catches for 23 yards. He had a, a bad drop. Obviously, we're going to get to it in a second, but the emotions ran over again. He, he just wasn't really there, it seemed, on – Monday night, and, and that's not a good thing for the Giants, and that's something that, you know, we they have to get the ball to those three playmakers, but they really have to get the ball to Beckham, and it's not happening. It's not happening, and Dan, when you watch these games and you're watching Beckham, especially on Monday night, is this on him? Is this on McAdoo? Is this on Eli? Is this a, a team thing? I mean, there, there's been some fans that have been screaming and yelling all morning, you have to get him the ball, right? You have to get him the ball early, whether it be a screen or just get the ball in his hand early, and maybe that opens things up. I mean, where do we put the blame that Odell Beckham Jr. was basically non-existent in this Monday night game? Yeah, I think it's all of the above. I think last night, more than some of the other games, it's on him a bit, though, because he had chances to make plays. Um, you know, the interception wasn't, I guess, wasn't his fault, but again, it's just a situation where you say, hey, throw it to deep to Odell, and he kind of got tangled up with the corner, and obviously Eli, you know, was, wasn't on the same page. Can't blame him for that. But then there was another deep ball in the second half where, you know, Terrence Newman's running step for step with him. Uh, the ball's there. He kind of tries to make a one-handed catch, and, and we've all seen him make that plenty of times, but he can't reel it in. Again, that's what revolve a clamoring for just give him a chance so then he has to then go and be you know the Odell Beckham we've seen and make those plays he also had just had a blatant drop on a you know a routine out pass so uh, you know we can't all sit here and say get him the ball get him the ball and then he gets the opportunities and on nine targets he has three catches and again some of those were not you know catchable balls uh, Eli certainly didn't have a good game uh, but so I put a you know a decent amount last night on Odell but bigger picture I think it's got to be the play calling just the game planning I just can't wrap my mind around the fact that you have one of the you know top three receivers in the league, however you want to order, uh, Julio Jones and Antonio Brown, and that he goes a quarter and a half without even getting a target. I mean, how difficult is it to draw up a quick play to get your best playmaker the ball? I don't care what coverage they're playing. There's ways to do it. I mean, I was thinking to myself, you know, when you play a Monday night game, they get to watch all the games all week. He had to see what A.J. Green did on Thursday night. He obviously had to see what Julio Jones did on Sunday when you you know 300 yards, everyone in the world saw that. And, and he has to be sitting there thinking, you know, how can these teams that don't have as many weapons 
get the ball to their main guys and I can't get it. So I think a big part of that is coaching. And then obviously the, the final part of the equation is Eli. I mean, he hasn't been that sharp this season and he's, you know, all about, Oh, I got to make my reads. I got to make my reads. Well, sometimes 13 just has to be the read because he's better than the guy he's, you know, going against. Obviously again, last night it didn't really pan out that way. Um, but there just needs to be a concerted effort to get him the ball, not to keep him happy, not any of that stuff, but because he's the best player on, on the field, you know, pretty much every time he steps on the field. Uh, so yeah, I, like I said, all of the above last night, more Odell than usual, but I think probably the biggest problem is just more the, the play calling, the scheming, uh, you know, the coaching aspect. How about you just call a reverse to the guy or put him in, you know, just do something completely crazy and come out for the first play of the game and put him in the wildcat. I mean, but, just but do, does do anyone something. Does anyone ever stop a slant to him? I mean, it's you talk about all the soft coverage. Just throw slants to him all day. Eventually, they'll have to come up. I mean, it's not. It just they try to make it seem so complicated, and yet, like I said, other teams find ways to get their best player the ball. Who don't? And those are defenses that don't have to scheme against Victor Cruz and Sterling Shepard. So it just can't be as difficult as they're making out to me. Again, I'm not in the film room, you know, 16 hours a day, but it just seems like you got to find a way to get your best player the ball. It does, and it felt like on Monday night, the Giants' offensive game plan, I don't even know what it was because half the plays you know, were busted within a half a second. It felt like Eli was just throwing the ball into the ground. So who knows how many of those would have gone to him, but I agree with both of you. I mean, get him the football any way you can, especially early, because as we're learning with him, and this has become more and more of a, a talking point over the last, I don't know, five, six games of his career here, that you know, he wears his emotions on his sleeves when things are going well, that's a fun thing. I think Giants fans like to see that. When things aren't, uh, it's becoming a detriment now to the team. I mean, we talked about this last week. James, I mean, we, we'd spent hours on this last year with the Panthers game, and now we sit here on this Tuesday morning after the Vikings game. Again, on Monday night against the Vikings, the Giants are struggling. He catches the pass near the sideline. Not a long game, but just, you know, finally something. And immediately, unsportsmanlike conduct. And it looks to me... Like, he, he's the one going after the defensive back to cause some sort of issue. Even if that was ticky-tack, he's the one, like, I don't know, he's just fired up or what, what it is. But he's making this issue what it is, and then he feels like he's targeted. James, what did you take away from the unsportsmanlike conduct? And then we'll get into all the reaction from the Giants. He just, it can't happen. I mean, look. And, and this is really becoming, I think, a major issue because it's for whatever reason, it seems like there are so many people that just want to come up with excuse after excuse after excuse for this stuff. And all they want to do is blame McAdoo, blame Eli Manning. He shouldn't say this. He shouldn't say that. Look, here's the deal. Did Xavier Rhodes hit Odell late out of bounds? It looked like twice. Yes. Should they probably have thrown a flag for those hits? Yes. But they didn't. And look. Not everything in an NFL game gets flagged. Remember, Odell earholed Kenny Vaccaro a couple weeks ago, and no one threw a flag for that. So that's – and I don't know if people saw us on the TV broadcast, but we saw it. A play or two before the, the play that led to the penalty, Rhodes and Beckham started going at each other, and you could tell they were yapping and going back and forth. And then that play happens. Odell, yeah, he got hit laid out of bounds, but then he goes right up and gets in Rhodes' face. He makes contact with Rhodes. Uh, it was inadvertent, but he also seemed to kind of make contact with the official, although I don't know if it was clear if the official was trying to get in between the two of them or if Odell kind of grazed the official. I don't think that's really an issue, but that is something some people point out. But he, it just it has to stop at some point. 
you know, as you guys, uh, many fans have seen reported, you know, we saw it with our own two eyes last uh, Monday night. Jerry Reese sat down with Odell at his locker for a very long period after the game. You saw a, t- a bunch of people on the Giants sideline go up and talk to him. I mean, the offensive line coach, Mike Solari, talked to Odell for a second last night. They're, they're doing everything they can, in my opinion, although I do think they should have taken Beckham out of the game. I thought Ben made a mistake there. The Vikings took Xavier Rhodes out of the game. They said, okay, this is going to get out of hand if we don't get our guy off the field. I thought the Giants should have sat him down for at least a play or two. But, you know, it's just, this is a problem. I think it's clear. I mean, look, Jerry Reese is not going to sit down with him at his locker if, it's not, if the Giants don't think it's a problem. Because if Jerry's sitting down with him, there's only one step left, and that's he goes to John Mara's office and has a talk with the owner. So, but it's I, I just don't understand why people keep on. I understand Dan's right. I think he's he is an intense competitor. He wants to win. He's he's not getting emotional because he's not getting the ball. He's getting emotional because the team's not having success, which is a good thing. But at the same time, he has to channel these emotions in a more productive positive manner and it's not happening and it's a major concern and people need to realize that it's okay to say that Odell Beckham is a great player who has to control his emotions they can they do not have to be exclusive oh they don't have to be exclusive James and I think to me the big issue is all right look if he was getting seven catches for 150 yards and a touchdown or two every game and then there was one or two plays per game where he had some sort of antic, or maybe there was an unnecessary roughness or a taunting. I think everyone would probably just shake it off and say, you know, it's Odell being Odell. But I feel like it gets in his head for other plays. I mean, or I don't know the, the play. I don't know what his route was supposed to be. But all I know is I watched the interception Eli threw last night when the ball went deep, and it reminded me of last year against the Panthers where I felt like he didn't run the right route or maybe he and Eli were on the same page because it felt like just watching the game on Monday night, I mean, was Odell – am I the only one that feel like Odell was trying to create contact with the, with the defensive back on that play instead of just get past him? I, sometimes uh, I feel like he, he takes everything and moves it into other parts of the game, and that could be hurting the offense, you know, even more than just a 15-yard penalty. Dan, what did you see on that interception, and do you think that he takes it into other plays, not just the ones he maybe gets a flag for? Yeah, I mean, to your point, uh, not even so much on the interception, the play after the penalty, I know I did see the replay in the press box. He clearly went out and basically just his decision was, I'm going to smash into Xavier Rhodes and then find out what my route is. And, you know, he kind of got lucky he didn't get, you know, an offensive pass interference or illegal hands to the face, whatever it could have been there. And Eli found him. And then, of course, there was another little, you know, collision out of bounds. But it seemed like his first mission on that route was, I'm going to go get even with this guy, which... I, there's something to be said for just kind of rising above it. I know that's easier said than done. And, you know, he pointed out last night he's a 23-year-old. Um, but he just has it in his head that he has to avenge everything that ever happens. And, again, I'm I'm obviously coming from a, a fresh perspective where I didn't watch every game the guy played last two years. So, I mean, I saw the highlights, saw some games here and there. But I don't know if this really started in earnest after the whole Josh Norman thing where, I mean, his manhood got called into question. But he's, again – you get bumped out of bounds in the second quarter. I mean, why do you need to go get in the guy's face? And, it, you know, again, he's making these quotes about it's a man's game and I have to stand up for myself. Just go back to the huddle. I mean, it's what, what did he accomplish by, you know, giving a little chest bump to Rhodes? It, it all, and again, as you said, it seemed to get him off of his game. So I just think he needs to, and it's going to be hard for him to do because he is a competitive guy. And, and it, you know, there is a macho factor, obviously, on the field uh, in an NFL game. But, Again, I just go to other receivers around the league. You don't see all this nonsense after the play. 
And now it's just be, it's it's just snowballing now because now the refs are more heightened to everything Beckham does. Opponents clearly are trying to get under his skin, and why wouldn't you? It's the best way to stop the guy because obviously, uh, talent-wise, it's tough to stop him. But if you can get him off his game, like we're saying, it, it seems to uh, have happened last night. It seems to happen pretty much every game now where he's just getting distracted by some nonsense. You go back to that Saints, you know, you know, the cheap shot he had against Kenny Vaccaro. It's just I don't understand why he feels he needs to prove, you know, himself and his toughness or whatnot. Just go burn everybody like you were doing for two years and everyone loved you. I mean, there's nobody wants the, the NFL does not want Odell Beckham to be a villain. I mean, after that catching against the Cowboys, this guy was you know, the most marketable guy in the league. And all of a sudden he's, you know, he's decided everyone's out to get him, which I just, I don't understand where all that comes from. And, and again, he's a young guy and I don't think anyone's going to probably be able to tell him otherwise, you know, maybe that's what Jerry was trying to, trying to do, but he's certainly not the first guy to, to try and talk some sense into Odell about this. And it just seems like he's so, he's so set in his ways that he needs to play with this, this wild emotional edge. I mean, look at Victor Cruz on the other side. He's obviously been a great player in this league and, He's the guy everyone's always, you know, helping him up and, you know, patting him on the butt on the way back to the huddle. It doesn't seem to hurt his play. <laughs> so, I mean, I know everyone's wired differently, but he just needs to get it under control one way or another. Yeah, I, I don't understand this whole, you know, like this whole everyone's out. I mean, the guy's had like six oral histories written about him in his catch so far in his career. He's 23 years old. It's just Dan is absolutely right. This guy is I mean, he plays in New York. He's one of the best players in the league. He's a generational talent. And I think that's part of the problem that people just, they don't seem to think that they can criticize him. But and look, I don't think this is like a major, like, you know, fans are on Twitter saying, are they, is he going to leave New York? Are the Giants going to trade him? Everybody needs to calm down. Okay, this is not a major issue. This is not a franchise-defining issue. It's an issue that's very easily fixed if he, as Dan said, just puts his head down and jogs back to the huddle. But the bottom line is, I think you're absolutely right, Joe. I don't know about that play in particular, but last year, he didn't get a lot of targets for a a big period of the Panthers game because I think, I mean, I don't think Eli Manning would ever come out and say it, but he's probably sitting there thinking, I can't throw the ball to this crazy guy. He's he's throwing a punch at Josh Norman every play. How am I going to throw him the football? So yeah. uh, you know there were times where he wouldn't even get open. He just the ball would be snapped and he would just try to fight Josh Norman. It, it, it's just look, it's an issue. It's not a major issue. It's an issue that can be fixed. Ben McAdoo loves to say that every issue the Giants have can be fixed. This is something that can be fixed, but it has to get fixed soon because if it doesn't get fixed. He's either going to get ejected from the game or the NFL is going to say, you know what, you need to sit down again and be suspended because this is a cumulative issue. Yeah, of course. I mean, this is the third time in eight games we're talking about this. I mean, last year, like you just said, James, there were plays in the Panther game, which they ended up losing because Cam Newton went crazy in the fourth quarter, but plays in the Panther game that he was taking himself out of the play because of wherever his head was, did it last night in the Monday night game against the Vikings, was suspended last year for the Vikings game because of what he did in the Panther game. I mean, I agree with you that this can be fixed. This doesn't have to ruin his career. I mean, his talent is off the charts. He's, he's had two of the greatest seasons any receiver's ever had to start a career. But at some point here, I mean, how, this is becoming a detriment to the Giants trying to win football games, and he should be the opposite of that, right, Dan? I mean, he should be the biggest, the biggest wild card and X factor they have that they can beat anybody or compete with anybody in the league because of him, and, and he's reversing that when he acts like this. 
Right. And the thing about it is he's a smart guy. Like if he was just some kind of dummy who just has a hothead and couldn't, you know, didn't understand his perception and everything like that, you just say, well, you kind of kind of live with it. Obviously, there's plenty of guys across the various sports who, you know, they're just going to be them and then, you know, Ron Artest type guys who I don't think maybe have the, the same uh, awareness, we'll say, that, uh, that Odell does. But Beckham's aware of everything. I mean, he's clearly a very sensitive guy. I mean, he puts all these things out on social media about all his, his critics and, and all that type of stuff. And that's the type of stuff a, a sensitive type of person does. I mean, I don't think he'd admit that, but, I mean, most guys would just probably ignore it, and, and he kind of feels compelled to, to respond to so much of the noise. Um, so, yeah, I just think that's what's frustrating, I guess, from the Giants' perspective, is this is a smart guy, and, and he, under, he should be able to understand that, he can control this. He, you know, he's saying, "Oh, it's you know, basically out of my hand. It's all against me. It's all against me." And someone even asked him last night, "Well, don't you think you've brought some of this on?" I mean, obviously that you know that Josh Norman game uh, was was such an ugly thing that everyone's seen, and like I said, it heightened refs to uh, to everything Odell does, and it obviously made opponents you know more aware that they can get in this guy's head and get under his skin. And he kind of dismissed even that, like, oh, it doesn't matter if I brought it on. It's, it's you know, they're going to, they're still going to come after me. But he's, a, he's ignoring a step there that, well, if you don't give them something to throw flags on, again, he probably doesn't think he deserved a flag um, for what he did last night. Certainly debatable, but he's removed all the shadow, you know, the, uh, the benefit of the doubt because of the actions he's had in the past. And again, I just think if, if he can kind of connect all these things in his mind that I don't have to answer every time I get a little bit of a cheap shot. Uh, if you know, if I just play my game, the refs, you know, I kind of take that that variable out of the equation. Um, and again, the, the fact that I think he he's he's a, a smart enough guy. At some point, you got to think it's going to click. He is only twenty three, but like I said earlier, it's snowballing. So it's only going to get worse if he doesn't nip it in the bud himself. Everyone in the world can talk to him. He needs to kind of come to some realization that the way this is going, and then pointing the finger outward, never really pointing it inward. Uh, it's only going to get worse unless unless something changes there. Yeah, and unfortunately for the Giants, they have a big stretch of games here where they, you know, they have to win and they have to get back on track and they have to figure this out too. Before we get into uh, talking about some level of concern of other issues around the Giants, because it's not just Odell Beckham that they've lost these last two games. Uh, James, let's wrap the Odell part of this podcast, which um, we might have to have again in a couple weeks. Um, with moving forward, how do you think the Giants continue to handle this? I mean, you think it'll be a McAdoo, Eli thing? And Eli talked last night after the game and basically said, look, you know, he's bringing this upon himself. Beckham seems to think it's being brought upon him. I mean, internally, how do you think the Giants handle this? Or do they just kind of go about their business and hope he doesn't do this again? I think they're going to handle it kind of the way they, they have been handling it. I, I, look, I think that the bottom line is, and I know Dan was on the beat last year, Tom Coughlin did not get fired because Odell lost his cool against the Panthers. But that did not help. And I really felt that the issue with Beckham was kind of the, I don't want to say the last straw, but it, it, was, it was, if there was any doubt, I think, in anyone's mind going into that day that the Giants had to make a coaching change, I think that the Panthers game and the way it was handled and the way Tom just seemed to not even get what had happened after the game. And then the fact that the Giants had went out there without Beckham against the Vikings in Week 16 and were just an embarrassment on national television. That was kind of like – that was the point of no return. I think Ben McAdoo, he's a first-year head coach. He's got a lot of eyeballs on him. He's got a lot of scrutiny. He's getting a lot of heat now because they've lost two straight, and the, and the offense, which is his thing, is not playing well. 
he is not going to let this thing get out of hand. He's going to be in control. I think Eli Manning, Eli's been, the way he doesn't really get as much attention because Eli kind of says it very, you know, you know, nonchalantly, you know, very plainly. But I think Eli's made it very clear with his public comments, which have, in my opinion, and tell me if you guys agree with me, have been the most consistent of anybody around the Giants about the situation. He's yeah, not, I, I agree with that. Yeah, he, he's, 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 he's had he's enough of this. He said it the way he felt the whole time, yeah. I think Eli's had enough of this. I think that's pretty clear, and I think you're going to continue to see that. He's had enough. This, he thinks this needs to end, and he wants it to end now. I think they're going to keep doing it. I, you know, I think you're going to still see guys talk to him. You, know, you can't just blame the other team and the officials and this other thing, which, I, which is starting to happen. Where, you know, it, it's social media. It's the media. I mean, no, it's not. You know, we, the, the, the media, the, 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 the social, I mean, they have an on-field issue. He's the guy who went and bumped Xavier Rhodes and got a penalty. No one made him do that. I think the Giants are going to keep on approaching this the way they are. And they just have to hope that, I mean, and look, to Beckham's credit, against the Redskins, he, he didn't have any on-field issues. In this game... He had an on-field issue, but he got. But he also seemed to get under control from there. And you know, him and Xavier Rhodes, I think they helped each other up in the second half. You know, so there, there are small, there, there progress is being made, no doubt. You know, there are. You know, look, Odell's not a bad guy. I think a lot of people saw it. You know, he went over and shook the hand of all the servicemen and service women at the game on Monday night. You know, he is. He's making progress, but he's just not making. I don't want to say enough progress. I, he's just. It's not. It's not coming all the way around, and the Giants need it to come all the way around now. They they don't really can't keep doing this each week. Yeah, no, I just want to jump in that that point you just made is kind of supporting what I'm saying. I, he he like he did the thing with the soldiers shaking their hands. He, he made a great block on Perkins' screen, helped Rhodes up after play. So you know he's capable of it. Again, that goes back just what I'm saying. It's not like this is a lost cause. Like, hey, listen, you got to just deal with this guy. He's a knucklehead. He just loses his cool. So that's something that I feel like you can rein in. Whereas if he was just a complete live wire and, and, and totally unpredictable, but he shows enough awareness in other situations that you just feel like, can he just translate that to everything on the field rather than you know losing his cool for five minutes? Because even on the sideline last night, he didn't have a tantrum. He did have one th- after the drive with the penalty. You know, he did his thing where he paces away, and it just looks bad because all the other wide receivers are sitting with their position coach, obviously going over routes, going over what's working, what's not, and he's, you know, 50 yards away talking to Mark Herzlick, who's trying to, you know, get him under control. But later in the game, you know, after the interception, I believe, or, you know, after the, the last possession where the game was pretty much over, you know, he just went, sat on the sideline, didn't make a scene. So, I mean, there's definitely times where, you know, I think it's a maturity uh, issue, and, and I think, again, he's young. You see enough signs that gives you hope that he can, uh, you know, fix this issue that you know seems to be coming a bigger one every week. But I don't think it's a complete lost cause by any stretch at this point. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, he's he's still a young player and he's obviously a brilliant player. But this is obviously a storyline. And to go to your last point, Dan, I mean, the ESPN cameras or whatever, Fox, NBC, whatever channel they're on in each different week. I mean, it becomes a bigger thing for everyone at home because they know right away. They're going to pan to him on the sideline whenever he comes off the field, but especially if the Giants are struggling and then everyone sees it and all of a sudden it becomes a big thing. All right, so Odell Beckham Jr., the major story. The Giants are 2-2. Two and two. They have other issues. All right, we have six 
we're going to play a little game here. Let your level of concern, and you guys can choose between low, medium, and high. So we have six of these. I'll give two each, or three, uh, to each of you, uh, and we'll kind of figure out how concerned we should be, how concerned you guys are with these different areas, team. All right, we'll start with you, James. We'll go with this one. Uh, the defense has generated zero turnovers through four games. They spent a lot of money, uh, and some of these guys have played well individually. It hasn't been a bad defense, but zero turnovers generated through four games. Your level of concern, low, medium, high? High concern. You cannot win in the National Football League if you don't have takeaways. You cannot win in the National Football League if you have a negative turnover differential. They got to start getting the ball. You know, last night, in my opinion, was a game where they were not going to win unless they had takeaways because that Minnesota defense is so good that you need to have a defensive score. You need to have a special team score. You need to set the offense up on a short field with a chance to get a cheap touchdown. They, they don't, they didn't do that. They lost the game. And I look at the upcoming schedule, the Packers, the Ravens, the Rams, the Eagles, the Bengals, more of the same. You just, it gives you a chance, you know, the Giants offense, I think, is like sixth overall in yards per game, and they're like 27th in points scored. They're averaging, I think, 18.25 points a game because they're never on a short field. They have to go 75, 80 yards every time. They do, and that's not easy to do, especially uh, when you have receivers that get penalties. I mean, they, they have a lot of things going against them. The fact they're not generating turnovers is not helping. Dan, we'll go with this one for you. A li- to stay with the defense. Olivier Vernon, who I think is – hustled I think he's been involved in a lot of places played the run well but through four games his first four games the giant has recorded just one sack level of concern low medium or high with Olivier Vernon and and his one sack so far I'd say uh medium but almost uh I'll go like in a stake uh level medium low uh because I just don't you know you can't measure a defensive end strictly on sacks I felt like uh, he was in the backfield a decent amount last night, uh, you know, caused a couple of pressures. I know, you know, he forced Bradford to throw the ball away at one point. Uh, obviously, you, you want to see some sacks. And, and listen, it, it's, it doesn't affect the play on the field, but when you have that contract, the expectations are going to raise, whether that's right or wrong. Uh, you know, so, you, you know, you got to live up to that. And that's something that he definitely hasn't done that so far because, again, uh, you see guys around the league who are making big money who, you know, maybe have four or five sacks right now. So, um, it's it's a little bit of a concern, but again, you said it. He's playing very well against the run. Uh, it's not like he looks overmatched out there. And you're like, how did you give this guy money? It's just he hasn't, you know, finished plays and got the big strip sack that you know as you guys were just talking about in that last part. Uh, they desperately need. Uh, but I don't, you know, I wouldn't say he's a bust or anything like that. And just like the takeaways, maybe the sacks will come in bunches for him. Uh, but I, you know, I think he's he's played pretty well. Um, so I wouldn't say it's a big concern for me. James, for you, let's go to this one. Ben McAdoo's play calling so far this season, uh, and a lot of Giants fans, I see it on social media and just during these games, are not happy with it. I mean, when you're not scoring points, people are going to be unhappy with the play caller. I understand that. But your thoughts, low, medium, high, concern level with how McAdoo's called these plays through four games? Medium. I think that it's it's definitely a concern. Look. I saw some people on Twitter, you know, back to the kind of the vein of trade Odell or they get trade Odell, you know, does McAdoo need to give up the play calling duties? We're, we're four games in. It's a little early for that. But, you know, McAdoo has had success as a play caller, as an offensive coordinator for the Giants. But I, I definitely think that he, there's been some curious calls, you know. They abandon the run against the Redskins. They, you know, do some things here and there. You know, t- clock management was a little iffy last night. So, I would say medium. I think that 
there definitely is room for improvement, but I don't think that's at, at the top of the Giants' issue list at this point. No, it probably isn't, but the output so far is it hasn't been good. And Dan, let's go to Eli now. You know, and, and once in a while when the Giants don't play well, some will bring it back to Eli. That, that doesn't usually happen unless he has one of those really bad games that he has every once in a while. But, you know, Beckham was a story last night. The offensive line has been great. They don't have their running backs. But, again, when you have a quarterback make it as much as Eli, people expect more than he's given the last two games. One touchdown, three interceptions over the last three games. Came in with a good completion percentage. Monday night wasn't very good. Your concern level with Eli's play in, in total so far this season, low, medium, high? I go medium. Uh, you know, he hasn't been playing well, uh, or at least not as you know well as he's capable of playing. But at the same time, this is kind of the Eli experience. I mean, he wouldn't be Eli if he went out and had 16 great games. I mean, you also, know, you also know he's liable to go out and you know throw for 400 yards and four touchdowns uh, next week because that's just he's always kind of been a roller coaster type of guy. Uh, if we're just looking at last night's performance, like I said, I thought it was really disappointing um, because I thought the offensive line did a great job. I mean, I know that pressures are, are you know, sort of a tough stat to track, and, and he certainly did have you know, some guys in his face at times, but they didn't give up a sack to a team that had eight sacks last week against Cam Newton. So um, there was enough time to make some plays. And, and, and again, the fact that you have these three wide receivers and he and the coaching staff can't figure out a way to get them the ball more is you know, kind of – it's really mind-numbing. I don't understand uh, what's going on there. Uh, he has the yardage, though. Um, obviously, the touchdowns is is uh, uh, you know eluding the offense in general and him in particular. Uh, needs to figure out a way to you know to convert. Uh, but I think a lot of it comes down to just not making big plays. Um, it's tough to just nickel and dime your way down the field and six-yard passes, eight-yard passes, because eventually the defense is going to make a play or you're going to make a mistake or you know, you're going to get stopped on third and short. So. Um, you know, the offense obviously isn't clicking. That starts with Eli. Uh, but, again, I don't think you can ever get too high or too low, just like Eli never gets too high or too low. So I'll, uh, I'll give him a medium. I think that's about right. That fits the personality of Eli Manning. Two more, one for each of you guys on the level of concern with the two and two Giants. And then we'll look forward to Sunday night in Green Bay. James, we'll go to, we'll go to schedule with you uh, moving forward here. The one thing that pops out, and, and you've talked about this a lot, James, this portion of the schedule. But, but beyond this, right, they'll be in Green Bay. And then you look into the rest of October, suddenly, I mean, it's not really surprising to see the Ravens at 3-1. and one. You know, when Flacco's healthy, that's usually a good football team. But suddenly that Rams game uh, in London doesn't look as easy as it did maybe, say, after week one when the Rams look like there's a complete joke. They're 3-1 and one now. They just went to Arizona and won. So level of concern with the schedule moving forward, starting with Green Bay this week. High, 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 high. I would say extra high if you uh, gave me that as an option. So they're going to Green Bay on Sunday night. A lot of fans and, and some media members have kind of had this thing that you know the Packers was the winnable game. I don't agree with that at all. I think that the Giants are significant underdogs against the Packers. I thought the Vikings were the winnable game because the Vikings' offense isn't very good. The Packers, I, I think that's a tough matchup for the Giants and. I'm not picking the Giants this week, and I have a feeling it could get ugly on Sunday night in, at Lambeau. But then, as you said, Ravens, Rams in London, bye week, home against the Eagles, who will probably be undefeated at that point, still the way everything's going for Wensomania in Philly. Then the Bengals on Monday Night Football. It gets a little bit easier. You know, you have the Bears and then the Browns Thanksgiving weekend. But then, then you got to go to the Steelers. Then you got the Cowboys at home. Then you have the Lions at Philly, at Washington. That's not an easy schedule. I think you know fans seem to th think in the 
offseason it was an easy schedule, and I was saying, no, this is kind of a tough schedule. It's even tougher than I thought it was going to be because some of those teams are off to surprising starts. This could get out of hand quick. The Giants really have to right their ship and quickly because they're not going to play any gimme games, I think, until – and I don't even think the Bears and the Browns are gimme games. I, I picked the Bears to win this – make the playoffs which was really dumb but I do think there's some talent there and the Browns have been feisty every week so going to Cleveland on Thanksgiving weekend is not a pushover so if the Giants don't get their their act in order right now they could take on some losses they could and two in a row heading to Green Bay Dan we'll end with the concern question with injuries for you your level of concern over the injuries last night during the Monday night broadcast we're doing this podcast on a Tuesday morning um, you know, John Gruden was going on and on about they didn't have their running backs, they didn't have they don't have a fullback on the roster, which I don't know why you mentioned so often. They don't have a blocking <laughs> tight end, but uh, really the giant injuries, the secondary was a big issue, of course, last night uh, as well because they didn't have their safeties out there, they didn't have Cromartie, you know, on the field actually, just standing around. Your level of concern with the injury is something that always seems to be part of this conversation with the Giants. I mean, I'll say medium. Uh, obviously, Vereen is a big loss, but he's the only guy out for the season. I mean, uh, medium, I guess, with the right to go higher if some of these guys are out longer than you know maybe we think. I mean, hard to really figure what's going on with Rashad Jennings. This is two weeks in a row where he's been a limited participant in practice all week and then not able to play. So and I know I've had fans ask me on Twitter, is this something more serious going on? Uh, nothing that I've seen or heard indicates that, again, because why would he be out there practicing if there was something more serious? But a little bit of a head-scratcher um, that he's been out now for two weeks, despite being able to be on the practice field. So, I mean, I, I would assume he will be back. Uh, although the running backs, I thought, was probably the bright spot of the offense last night. Um, that was a great run defense, and, and they were able to run the ball for 4.3 yards of carry. So uh, I can't say they missed Jennings terribly last night, although uh, maybe some of the pass protection and things like that, he would have helped. Uh, but obviously the bigger issue is definitely on the other side of the ball in the secondary uh, you know, Darian Thompson got, you know, relatively good news last week when it you know, wasn't a major injury that's going to require surgery, but he's still in a week-to-week uh, window. So, uh, you know, you've, you've heard different reports that maybe it'll be you know, the Ravens game, maybe it'll be the week after that. Um, you know, he's still in a walking boot, so I don't know how optimistic he can be. Um, again, good thing he avoided major surgery, but they, they need him back uh, desperately. Um, so this pass defense just does not look as good without him on the field. Uh, Nat Berhey with a concussion, always tough to to predict that. But you know, you know, maybe there's a chance he'll be back next week, which I think would help. Um, and then the corners, it seems like both of those guys, should, you know, in, in Rogers Camardi and Eli Apple should be ready to go next week. I mean, the fact that Rogers Camardi was at least healthy enough to dress, obviously didn't get in the game, uh, is you know, is a promising sign for where he's at. So uh, if they're out for a long term, it's you know, high red alert, you know, sirens going off. But the fact that I think that none of these guys are going to be out for too long of a period of time. Uh, I don't think it's a major concern. All right, guys, let's look forward. Sunday night football, the Giants in Green Bay against the Packers. Second straight road game. Second straight game against a playoff team from last year. Second road trip in a row for you guys out to the Midwest. James, when you look at this matchup, but you touched on it a few minutes ago, what do you see? I mean, the Packers, they're 2-1 and one, coming off a bye. All three of their games have been close. I'm not sure what to make of them yet other than, you know, what we know about Aaron Rodgers and what we usually can expect out of them. I think one of the major things to say that to me is the Giants are on a short week after playing a really physical game against the Minnesota Vikings in their elite defense, and the Packers are coming off a bye. I think that could be a major difference, especially with the Giants making a road trip again. Um, I think this is going to be a really tough game for the Giants. I mean, 
Aaron Rodgers is Aaron Rodgers. I know that things have been kind of up and down in Green Bay, but you know, I think you know, as someone pointed out, I, I read somewhere the Packers basically didn't do anything in the preseason. They basically treated it like a joke and I and barely played their starting offense. So they're kind of working their way into a groove. Uh, and the Giants' defense, I mean, if, if they're not healthy in the secondary, they're going to be susceptible to big plays again. And I, you know, the, I'm looking up the stats right now, but the, the Green Bay defense is kind of a middle-of-the-pack unit. I, I think it, for, yeah, it still is the league's top-ranked rush defense. So, you know, the Giants' run game has been kind of resurging a little bit quietly the past couple of weeks, but I don't know if that's going to end in Green Bay against the Packers. So I just think it's a really tough matchup for the Giants kind of a perfect storm matchup and yeah they could definitely stay in the game and give the Packers a run but I think there's a very good chance that the Packers are going to blow them out. Dan what are you feeling as we look forward to Packers Giants Sunday night football? Yeah I mean I agree it's a tough matchup and, and go back to my last point if, if these guys in the secondary aren't healthy then obviously this matchup gets a lot more difficult uh, the one thing you know about the Packers is they're going to be able to throw the ball around uh, with Aaron Rodgers and, uh, and those wide receivers so uh, it's never an easy place to go into play at Lambeau, especially in prime time. I'm sure that place would be rocking, although it uh, can't be any louder than it was last night. Uh, the Vikings' new stadium, that place was, uh, you could barely hear yourself think. Um, so, yeah, no, definitely a tough matchup. And, and no surprise, when we look at the schedule when it came out and, and these two games were circled, as you know, this is really the gauntlet uh, right here. I mean, I think most people, even myself, I predicted them to win, I don't even know if it was nine or ten games now, I can't remember, but I thought they'd be two and three after this stretch, and, and that certainly looks like, uh, you know, where they're headed. Uh, so certainly not uh, an ideal setup, as James said, short week, travel back la- late last night, and got to get back on a plane and, and head back out to the Midwest on Saturday for, uh, for Sunday's game. Uh, but hey, this is life in the NFL. You know what I mean? There's, there's not too many. Uh, you can't schedule a one double A team to to get, you know get your bearings. It's it, it's how it is. Uh, it's a tough stretch. Um, like I said, they just need to get some guys healthy because otherwise, uh, it could be a really rough matchup. It could. And here we go: Giants, Packers, with a two game losing streak going in, and the Sunday night football cameras on Odell Beckham. It should be a fun scene. We'll be back next week to talk about it. Either a three game losing streak, which will have everyone everyone just up in arms, or the Giants bounce back with a huge win against a you know, really good NFC team. So we'll talk about it next week. James, as always, thanks for doing this. Thank you, Joe. And thank you, Dan. Hey, thanks a lot, Joe. We'll be back next week. Thanks so much for listening to Episode 68 of Talk is Cheap. You can always listen and subscribe on NJ.com, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iTunes. Any way you want to listen, you can listen to our Giants podcast, Talk is Cheap, right here on NJ.com.